1: Welcome in to the and Audible's podcast. Matt Pre Eric Scopo, Jared, back on the show. And this is a severely long overdue podcast. Uh, it's been a wild football season that took up a lot of time. And we now have an opportunity to talk some basketball. And trust me, football is not going away. We will have another one on the show here very soon. Um, there's a lot to get to there. But this is going to be one devoted to both the women's and the men's programs. Both came into the season ranked. Um, one of them I still believe is. Uh, the other is not. And both have had interesting starts to the season. I think it's safe to say, guys, that injuries have impacted both programs. Um The women lost Sedona Prince at the beginning of the season. Didn't even get one game with her. And the men currently have, like, I don't know, six guys healthy. Um, (laughs) Not good for for the men either. But let's start with the women. And Sedona Prince's injury and out for the season maybe shifted the narrative a little bit about what this team was going to play like or what they were going to look like. But it's also... Opened the door for some freshmen having to play a lot. It's opened the door uh, for a person that was added to the program. Maybe, Eric, you can speak more of this. Last year, that was like, hey, like maybe she's going to help us long-term, but her first couple of years could be interesting, and she's kind of blossomed a little bit. I believe we're speaking about Filipina Che. Yes, we are.
2: Yeah, no, it's been... Well, first off, there were 3 6-foot 7 or 6-foot 8 players on this roster available like October 22nd and there's now currently one because Prince goes down for the season and then Kennedy Basham, a true freshman who's 6-foot 7, who was supposed to probably have a limited role if Prince was available, but then when Prince wasn't available, it was like pushing to start or at least having a, you know, playing probably 10-15 minutes a game. She goes down with a knee injury in like her first 8 minutes of college basketball in the season opener against Northwestern. So, they went from having three, like, you know, like they were going to have like a a, a trip a triplet of tower, uh, tower triplets, whatever you want to call it. You know, like the twin towers, they had three of them. They had you know, a huge front line that they were going to throw out there. And two of them are out with injury right now. And now it really does fall on Che. And I, I thought she played really, really well, especially this last week up in Portland. I think that was one of the big takeaways along with the emergence of some of the freshmen was just how, impactful che was you know she was the tallest player on the court in both games Uh, a very hard-fought loss to north carolina who's now number six nationally and then a an eight-point win over michigan state and i thought she was impactful on both ends of the floor she's got a little bit more confidence offensively uh, with some post moves around the basket defensively she's always been a problem because of her height her length and, and pretty impressive agility like um, you know, I think Sedona Prince was oftentimes a defensive liability despite being six foot seven. You know, she not, was not very quick, not very quick, especially in terms of reacting to things on the court. I think Philly is, is somebody who has already shown a pretty high end defensive acumen. Does she get beat now and then? Yeah, but she's also impactful in ways that Oregon really hasn't had at center In a minute. I mean, uh, Ruthie Hebert and Niara Sabli were much better offensive players, much more reliable offensive players, but neither were quite the defensive presence of Che. And and she's also just been a fantastic rebounder this weekend up in Portland. I think she had 11 rebounds in the loss to North Carolina and and 16 in the win over Michigan State. So her, her play has been really impressive. There's still a lot there. You can tell she was six for 13 from the field against Michigan State. Those were all basically in the paint touches, too. So she had probably could have had three or four more made baskets, but definitely an encouraging sign and, and kind of re-watching the game. Obviously, I covered both of them and, and re-watching it and kind of checking out the broadcast. Both, both broadcast crew, crews really made a point of speaking to her importance in the game and kind of how she's a developing star. And you kind of wonder here, this front court, I don't know how much longer you want me to talk before we bring in other voices on this podcast, but her and Grace Van Sluten, who's the freshman I wanted to get to as well, like that could be a really, really dynamic front court for Oregon for several years as a freshman and as a sophomore who both have played really, really well early on in their, their young careers and especially this season.
3: Yeah, I think I've been most impressed with Jenna Sai. And, you know, just before I start going, there's some construction going on somewhere in my apartment complex, so there might be a drill bit noise here or there, so I apologize for that. But yeah, I've been uh, – I think between – Jenna's, I am Grace van salutden it's hard to me it's hard to establish which which person has been um, more I don't know how to describe it more impactful this year just because Jenna I, I don't think the expectations for her for, were for her were that high heading into the year I know she was a very highly talented recruit going into the season however I don't I didn't expect her to be this polished overall um, she's excellent at driving to the rim draws a lot of fouls um, hits three pointers. She's like a perfect modern uh, basketball player, just strictly threes and getting to the free throw line. No mid-range jumpers here. But Grace Van Sluten has been everything as advertised. Um, six foot four, floor general, is similar, I would say, to Niara Sabali or Satu Sabali, and just that she can bring the ball up the court if needed um, at her size and at that power forward position. Um, I think that's that's really helpful because in, in the couple of games that I've been able to cover this season, you know she's been adamant about running the floor. She gets the rebound and she'll try to go coast to coast or she'll at least you know d- uh, dump it off to to Hina Pau or India Rogers and just get the break going, which I think is really important for this Oregon team. And I think it's why they're playing um, better than they than they were last year. I think they were a little too wow. slow. I think they're not a, that's not how uh, we've seen Oregon play in the wow. past with Sedona and with uh, Niara as like the front court. Apologies for all these drill, drill sounds going on. I think uh, I think the way that they play fast this season, especially with the freshmen, including Chance Gray, who's another um, very polished, I think, defensive player overall. I actually am really impressed with their on-ball defense. Um, I think the way that they're playing fast this year really helps the way that Kelly Graves wants this team to be run. Um, And you saw that a bit during the PK uh, Invitational or legacy or whatever side of the bracket they were on. I can't remember at this point, Um, but it it really breaks out into games where there's lesser competition. They just run the floor on them, get to the basket, convert layups. Um, And just to really quickly touch on Philly. Uh, she's been great this season. We saw glimpses of her last year, um, really not polished last year, a little bit better this year, able to hit some inside jumpers and uh, jump hooks. Um, I think that's such a vital portion of, or part of this team because it allows them basically to go four out, one in. Just kind of like an old school, like Orlando Magic with Dwight Howard, where it's one, one tall center and then everybody else around her can shoot. Um, I think that's a great way to play basketball. And I think that's honestly how Kelly would would like it to be.
1: This women's team has six players who play 20 or or more minutes. I feel like, Eric, Mm. you've been at all the games. Um, This feels like that's kind of their core rotation right there. And then they've got three others that have played in six games all around 12 to 15 minutes. Um, But their big six, I I think what maybe from just afar – makes this team able to you know, make up for the lack of height or the inexperience is they're very balanced. Like they're really – it doesn't feel like there's one player that you say like, hey, every night they're going to get 20 and everybody else is going to kind of fall in because their averages from a scoring perspective are all right around the same. They've got five that average double figures, no more than 13, no less than 10. Um, and that's I, – I feel like at the college level – when you can have some really good teams. When yeah, you, you've got your go-to player or your top two, you know, go-to players, but when you can roll out and say, hey, oh. Tahina Pau Pau is going to get hers tonight, we know that. But the scouting report says watch out for Van Sluten, watch out for Dea Rogers. But then all of a sudden maybe freshman uh, Chance Gray shows up and blows up for for 18, 20 points. And that's not her playing out of her her level of play, which can make her pretty good.
2: Yeah. And I think it's just a, a lot of parts that fit well together. And if you think about how spacing on a court works, a lot of parts that require defensive attention, you know, they've got a player in Che who requires sometimes a double, or at least certainly a full body completely in the paint to try to keep her from basically being in, you know, right next to the basket. And so there's some attention required there. They've got, In their starting five, Pow Pow, Rogers, and Gray are all capable three point shooters. That stretches the court a little bit. And I really like the way that they play some of you know, they're back to playing a lot of the pick and roll basketball that was so integral to Kelly Graves when I was at Gonzaga with Courtney Vandersloot and how she would play off players. But obviously, if you're an Oregon fan and familiar with, you know, his time here, you know, it's obviously not quite to that level, but the Sabrina Ruthie pick and roll was such a a core part of this and you're starting to see a little bit of that with either rogers or pow pow and van Sluten, and that became i thought a real weapon this weekend north carolina had a really hard time stopping that and you know grace van Sluten went for 17 points 12 rebounds in that game was was excellent kind of a coming out party on again a pretty big stage so um it's it's the fact that they have six players who are scoring nine more or more points, you mentioned all of them over 20 minutes per game. That's that's obviously really a, a positive indication. But it's the fact that I think their skill sets all kind of work together. And Asai, as uh Jared brought up, is kind of this fun off the bench weapon that is just different than the rest of them, where where she I was this is a pretty remarkable stat through her first six games in college, she's fourteen of sixteen on two point shots. Um, you know, you don't see that from a 5'11 guard very often. She gets to the rim, she finishes, and she is a downhill get-to-the-basket player. I mean, she's averaged, averaging about four free-throw attempts per game. She's made 85% of those. So as Jared said, she she's this kind of uh, unique change of pace because, you know, she's bigger than the starting three guards, Pow uh, Pow, Rogers, and Gray, who are all, you know, 5'7", 5'9", kind of range. She's five foot eleven, and she comes in with a totally different mentality that, teams have to watch out for um but the the other other, i think the other big thing is that was really the difference in the game with michigan state is the three-point shooting has been far more consistent with this team than it was last year they hit 10 of 19 from three uh to beat the spartans five from rogers cray and Hurst hit a couple um but they just got more consistency from the three-point range last year's team even though we do have a couple of carryovers there were games last year where they and, and of course early season we'll see maybe they'll hit a slump but there were games last year where the team made zero threes they, they they beat cal on like 0 of 19 three-point shooting and they had i think they had a couple other where they made like one or two out of you know 20 or more three-point shots so there were times last year this team just couldn't hit anything and again we're six games in they might hit a slump and, and have a game similar to that but Right now, there's really no indication of that. I thought they shot the ball really well in both the, both the games up in Portland. Um, not quite as well against Carolina um, as Michigan State, but you know this is a team that 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 should have three point shooters that that should be able to stretch the court. And we've seen that um, Ben Sluten and Che are not three point threats right now. But every other player that's in their rotation, essentially, I guess Hozanov doesn't shoot threes either, has made at least six threes this season. Right? I think that sort of stands out. Like they have. Um, six players who've made at least six three-point shots this season and all over thirty-two percent. So, um, it's there's a variety of the way that they play offense. Um, really, kind of lends itself to really the way I think Kelly Graves wants his teams to play. This feels, again, as somebody who watched him at Gonzaga and now at Oregon for a long time, this feels a lot more like a Kelly Graves basketball team than any of the two teams right after Sabrina ever did. Those teams those teams were constructed in ways that almost forced him to play outside of the style. I think he'd like to play and frankly had shortcomings that forced it that way because they couldn't hit the three point shot. They struggled with developing some of that pick and roll chemistry. I think the, I mentioned it a moment ago that that kind of pick and pop stuff is so valuable and it's also just takes, you know, the maturation of Rogers and pow pow kind of figuring that out players who probably hadn't played in a system like that before of kind of understanding that relationship, and then also the bigs, Ben Sluton being already good at it, and uh, Che developing a little bit more and becoming more reliable in terms of catching the ball on the run, which is hard for a big person. So um, I, I just think the offense, you feel really good about where they're at, averaging about 85 points per game. Both games up in Portland were awesome in terms of just the caliber of offensive play, I thought, on both sides. And, and the Ducks certainly look like a team here where we're going to get into their first conference game on December 11th against Oregon State, where they could push some teams in the conference. It's a really good year for the conference, by the way. You go look at the top 25. I think there's six teams in there from the from the Pac-12. It's going to be a dogfight, but this team looks capable of, of at least kind of, you know, throwing some punches and hanging around. I don't think they'll win the conference. I don't know where kind of they'll finish, probably in the two to five range, but they're going to give some teams some real problems, especially if everybody can stay healthy.
3: I'm glad you brought up the fact that this looks more like a kelly graves offense because it, it really does and you mentioned the pick and roll but you know you you also mentioned that Grace graceman isn't much of a three-point shooter and, and she's just not but she at least has touch in the mid-range you can at least space the floor in that sense as well which again gives these open looks to more people because you have to defend all five players like you mentioned um which is exactly what the sabrina unesco teams were and there's no you know, generational talent like Inesco on this team, unless Grace Van Sleuten turns into something. But I, I I doubt, not that she can, but I doubt it because it just doesn't happen that often. That's why it's called it's, generational talent.
2: It's all, And it's also year one where even year right. one of Sabrina was nowhere near what it was by year four. So even if she ends yeah. up being that, this is going to be a hollow mm-hmm. version. But
3: she's still really damn good. She, she knows the game really well. And having a player like that for Kelly at his disposal to just, give the ball to and kind of have her make plays or, or create her own shot or finish around the rim, which she does well. Um, it's just a luxury at this point. I mean, defensively, if we want to get into it, I know, you know, Kelly Graves' teams have never really been known for defense, um, but it really helps when you have somebody like Philly Che in the middle, because that just, it, she might not put up all the stats that you want. She'll get she'll get her rebounds, but maybe she won't finish with the amount of block shots that you think she would. But she does an excellent job of just standing tall in the middle and um, making making other players think about her. Making other players who drive the lane think. All right, well, where is Philly? Where where can I go? Where can I not go? And I think that's done a really good job this season. Um, teams are going to find mismatches against her if there's a smaller big someone who's like Grace pants in size who just can move around Philly but um on a, more often than not I feel like that's going to be a defensive advantage for Oregon having her um there uh Chance Gray is an excellent on-ball defender I think she's just probably in the in the couple games watching just like the most or the, the quickest the lightest foot speed that they have on the roster at this point Um, She's still raw offensively, but defensively, I think she could be an impact person, especially with with Indy on the other side. Nothing crazy. Um, Speaking of crazy, the the videos just all kind of moved there for a second. But, um, yeah, defensively, I think this team will be fine. Like Eric said, I think there'll be a a fighter's chance in the Pac-12. It's a very talented year overall for the conference. Um, I do really like this team. It's much more enjoyable watching them and covering them this year than it has been in the last um, or the last two years, or at least watching them on TV during the pandemic season. Um, uh, yeah, it just it feels more like a, a Kelly Graves team, and I think that's the best case possible for Oregon at this point.
1: We think the the ceiling here is because, like you guys have pointed out, they're. They're better constructed this, se- this season, um, and that's led to better numbers from a stat standpoint. They've fared well against good competition. Um, they were – correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. They were in control for most of that North Carolina game, and then yeah. at the very end, you know, credit to North Carolina. They were there. They made the plays in the fourth quarter to get the win, but it felt like Oregon for three quarters at least was kind of in control of that game. Is that right? Three
2: and a half. They were up eight with about six to go, and North Carolina won on a big run. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so they, they, they've they hung with one of the best teams in the country. They performed well against Michigan State. What's the ceiling here? Like, is it – do you want to get into it and say, maybe they're going to be better than we expected? Or is it still kind of a, hey, this is a tournament team. We just don't know how far they are into into the tournament.
2: Yeah, I think they're ahead of where I thought they'd be just because the freshmen are probably better contributors. Uh, I've heard so much positive things on this podcast too from from Kelly Graves about Grace Van Sluten, and she's probably even exceeded a little bit of it in terms of just her confidence and her readiness to be the best player in the court for Oregon for stretches, which you don't always see at a freshman like Jared and we kind of talked about earlier. Um, I think Philly is a step ahead of where I thought she'd be. Jenna Asai is certainly much further ahead. I thought she was going to be... Uh, you know, probably close to the end of the rotation, and she's now your sixth man. Come in and 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 put up 15 points. You know, in a in a in a big game like she did against North Carolina, where she had all, a bunch of tough baskets getting to the rim. So they've got pieces that are above where I thought they'd be. <clears throat> the big thing for me, and we haven't really talked about it, is just the the lack of numbers. And they have nine available players right now, and that's just really a tough spot to be. And one of the things I was going to say about the defense was. What was really impressive over the weekend was Che was only, you know, was able to stay out of foul trouble. She only committed three fouls in both games combined. So that allowed her to be on the court for the majority of a the game. There's gonna be a night where an opposing team goes after her and she picks up three fouls in the first half and they're now playing without the rim protection, without their size advantage, without their rebounding advantage. And that's gonna be a problem. So I think the depth on this team will potentially cost them some games. The lack of it, the talent on this team, to me, is up there with basically anyone in this conference besides Stanford. And you know, Stanford. I don't think that's speaking out of turn. That's a team that is literally built around multiple top-ranked players in the country in their recruiting classes. They have their own six-eight superstar center, which is much more far along. And Lauren Betts, she's the number one player in the country for true freshman this year. <coughs> um, they they are a problem, but. I, I genuinely think this is a this is a tournament team, first off. I, I feel confident with that. They played two NCAA tournament-caliber teams. That was what Graves described Carolina and Michigan State and really held their own, could have won both. You know, they split them. I think you feel pretty good about the outcomes there. Um, but they need to stay healthy, and they need to avoid foul trouble in the front court because if they were to have a game again where Che gets into foul trouble or Van Slutten or, or unfortunately maybe both, you'd be looking at a spot where you've got Taylor Hosen Dove is your only post player and you'd be playing, you know, basically four guards and a six 2 center. So that's a pretty under undersized lineup. Uh, but the, the ceiling is really high and the top tier talent is certainly high on, on any given game. You know, they could go and compete with just about anybody. I'm not saying they beat the Stanfords of the world or the South Carolina or the Yukons or some of those, those sort of teams, but they could certainly give them a challenge just because Oregon does, as we established earlier, kind of throw the kitchen sink at you defensively in terms of what they can do offensively with all the shooters, with the size down low, with the versatility of a Van Sluten, um, with the Psy being kind of that off-the-bench slasher sort of uh, type of player. They really have a, a fun complement of weapons, but to me, it really does come down to the numbers and from a depth perspective. And It's women's basketball. Injuries happen at a higher rate than it seems like that they do on the men's side. Although this year, as we'll get to in a moment with the men, maybe not...
1: <laughs> but, say, watch it, watch it The are pretty bad
2: Careful, They're because they're having the year from literal hell I don't understand how that's happened Someone's going to have to explain We're going to have to get Matt's explanation on that But I, just just the law of averages Is there will be a player who suffers some sort of thing Here or there that costs them games And now you're down to eight players or seven players And, and that could get really hairy But if everybody is, you know Knocking on the wood here in my apartment Stays healthy this is a talented team that could make a run and and could beat again most teams in the country you know, on any given day. And again, they they were very very close to beating North Carolina. Probably two or three things go their way, they do. You know, I we watched it a couple nights ago. Uh, had two chances from three point range in the last minute to tie it. Both went you know to, you know in and out shots, and you, one of those goes down. Maybe we're talking about overtime and things go differently, but. I, i've been really encouraged and i think you could tell from kelly graves just kind of post game after both of those those games up in portland he was like genuinely really excited by what he saw from his team in two really you know competitive games against good competition
3: yeah like like eric mentioned i think that this team is exceeding expectations at least in my opinion i just mostly because you weren't really sure what you were going to get and then you have you know Sedona Prince on on the day before I think it was the day of the first game of, of the season or no the first scrimmage of the season uh, at at MKA um, announces that she's going that she's no not playing with the team she's going under, undergoing surgery on her arm then um, you kind of look at it, it's like well how good is this team going to be but like Eric mentioned the freshmen have stepped up I think you know Grace obviously Jenna Si as Eric mentioned I mentioned earlier is a player that. Oregon, I don't really think has had in the last couple of seasons. Um, just somebody who you know gets downhill, gets to the basket, shoots threes at a decent clip, um, plays good defense as a true freshman, fits in really well. You can't even tell that, that every once in a while she'll make a freshman's mistake, but that happens. That's a freshman mistake. It's called that for a reason. But um, she fits in really well with the system. And again, Chance Gray, like I mentioned, you know she's starting for this for this top twenty-five team, playing good defense, hitting shots on occasion. Um, Again, not a polished offensive threat, but uh, in in the couple of years that she stays at the program, um, I think that that could really help. The ceiling on this team, it all comes down to health, like Eric mentioned, and the lack of front court depth will get them in trouble at some point, just because there are going to be other teams in this conference in the country that have good fundamental post players that are going to get Filipina Che to bite, draw her fouls get her out of the game. And then suddenly Grace Van Sluten is your start as your center, potentially, unless you want to do Taya Hansen or Hosen Dove, And that's, you know, not the best idea. But Van Sluten is, is six foot four, but she's not a great, she's not a great post defender. There's going to be opportunities for team for other other opposing teams to get Oregon into foul trouble. I'm not sure if they can get somebody to help them out this season, unless it's like a walk on um, down in the low block, but that's going to become an issue at one point. There's going to be plenty of games where Filipina Che has two fouls in the first quarter and has to sit until halftime. And it's all about how you can limit what the other team is doing on the inside at that point. Um, so I think that really, you know, is a, is a blow to what their potential ceiling can be, just because of how quickly things can go really well to Filipina Che getting two or three fouls and having to sit. And what does that look like?
2: And just a update on Basham, who will be back this year. Mm-hmm. That is a six foot center, seven center who could who will be expected to when she returns, kind of be that extra big off the bench. That return isn't imminent. That's probably still another five six weeks away. I would imagine from what everything I've heard. I think this is a mid-January return, so you're going to get here for the heart of the season, which, again, if everybody else is healthy and available, you could be in decent spot. Ten players is obviously better than nine, and, and two six-foot-seven or taller centers is obviously better than one. Um, I also just think you have to be careful of how high expectations you set for her when she does return, because these are her going to be basically her first college moments in very potentially competitive situations, so... Um, but Basham will be a, a needed return in terms of midseason additions. Jared, you kind of brought it up. There is a player that those listening up there, diehard women's basketball fans, are aware of. Um, from, her, well, should we, I guess it was Hannah Gusters. She's from LSU. Uh, she's in the she's in the portal. Oregon would like to add her. She'd like to come to Oregon. There are hurdles to to kind of get over and clear. And I'm kind of skeptical. From the last thing I heard, that that takes place this year so that's a thing that could happen and if she did get cleared and did join the team it would be it would be right around the same time basham gets back anyway so um kind of just an update there because i know there are probably some listening going like well what about this thing that we heard about a couple weeks ago because it was kind of making the rounds
1: the women will be back in action saturday at home against portland and then they'll get a week between games when they host oregon state for the first of two rivalry games, December 11th, Sunday at 4 o'clock. And then their stand continues with non-con games, uh, the 15th against Eastern Washington at home, and then College of Charleston on the 18th. And then we'll wrap up non-conference play by going and playing in their second tournament of non-conference play. I love it. I love preseason basketball tournaments. In San Diego, too, if they could have just waited a couple more days, we could all potentially be there. Uh, They play Arkansas and then potentially USF or Ohio State. Um, Let's take a quick break. We come back, we'll dive into the MASH unit that is also known as the Oregon Men's Basketball Program.
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Matt premier scoop Mark Jared Mack, devoting a whole show to – hi, Jared – to uh, Oregon basketball. <laughs> uh, the men, on the other hand, like the, the women, they're off to a good start. They've got one loss on the season. They're ranked meeting preseason expectations, the, the, the men it's been tough. I I don't even know if we can be critical of the men because they're three and four. And really the only game I feel like that we can be critical on is the UC Irvine 69 to 56 loss. And it was worse than what the score resembled. That was the second game of the season. Um, They've played three straight ranked opponents. Houston, who's currently the number one team in the country, they lost that one by by 10, and there were parts where they were right there. They got blown out by Connecticut, 83-59, to but again, they only had like six players healthy for that game. And then they almost beat Michigan State, who uh, at the time was 12th in the country. They lost that one by four. And then... They got a break by pl- playing an unranked opponent, but that that opponent is named Villanova. Uh, and they're not Villanova of, of the last couple of seasons this year, obviously, but it's still a, t- a program that's well-respected. They won that one, 74 to 67. So t- if, you're, if you're trying to get yourself familiar with the basketball team and you want to know what the status is, why are they three and four? It's because Infalle Dante is hurt. Nate Biddle is hurt. Jermaine Kuznard, who was Dane Allman has said would start the season. He hasn't played yet because he's hurt. Yes, Jared? Oh, you're you're counting. You're counting. Yes, I'm counting. So that's Jermaine Kuznard. Brennan Rigsby is expected to make his season debut this week. He was supposed to start as well. Keyshawn Bartholomew, who started in place of those guys, Kuznard and Rigsby, he is hurt. Uh, And Luke Werr has... Just started to return to action. He missed the first collection of games. Uh, and then Ethan Butler is also hurt and on scholarship. So they've had seven scholarship players get hurt. Oh, and Quincy Gurrier didn't make practice yesterday because he's dealing with something.
3: Oh. If
1: he's going to he's gonna be available anything play but or not. the
3: dealing with something.
1: <laughs> How dare so, you deal? I don't know if it's even fair to be critical of this team just because of how many injuries they've had. There's one game I feel like it's it's okay to say you should have won that one because even without injuries.
2: And Matt, wouldn't it almost be fair to be pretty complimentary of the last two games up in Portland? At least I feel like Absolutely. they should. Friday's game, Sunday's game, where, again, I, I was covering my own game, so I didn't get to watch much of, of, of the Sunday game, but like you look at the box score and you've got walk-on starting, you've got guys yeah. who you probably genuinely have never heard of playing like a dozen minutes in some of these games. And they were right there with Michigan state. I didn't catch the uh, the kind of the tail end of that one. And and then held off Villanova to win again, despite basically playing with like a skeleton crew. They had like five, five, five players and a bunch of walk-ons in that game. So like, I think if anything you can feel kind of encouraged of let's let's, it's a little bit similar to the women's basketball team a year ago, where they had their three best players miss like all of non-conference play, and then you're kind of going, okay, well, once everybody does get back, we're seeing some kind of encouraging signs. Maybe it gets gets good. Maybe that's a bad example because it never got that good. They had some good runs, but <laughs> ended up kind of being a disappointing season. I was but it was gonna same, say. <laughs> but it was the same kind of thing, though, where you kind of going like, well, all the good most of the good players are out, so like we can't draw too many conclusions. Like Matt, none of these are season-ending injuries. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No. Um, Kuznard should be back beginning of the year. Rigsby should be back this week. Biddle, we don't know. Um, it's a foot injury. He's in a boot. Dan Altman said he re aggravated the injury that he suffered in Canada in the month of August. And so he's a big men, they're all they're always cautious with big men. Um Butler don't know when he gets back. He hasn't played in his career though. Um yeah. Luke Ward is back playing, but Dane is like, he's so raw. He didn't he didn't get cleared to play until the night of the Yukon game. So like he went into the PK 85 without any practice. Um but none of them none of them are season ending. It's just can they tread water until the collection of them get back?
2: That and that was just gonna be my point was if you if you wanna be glass half full, which we, we do try to be on this podcast from time to time, um, you just kinda of think, Okay, let's hope everybody at some point is available together. And if they can just, as you said, sort of tread water, win a couple of these games, hopefully not lose any games to teams that they shouldn't again. There's some games on the schedule coming up that you think you have to win. Hey, maybe they can put themselves in a chance, you know, in a spot to get hot and conference play, probably gonna need, I don't know how much of a run to, to make a tournament in terms of like do they want do they need to win a conference tournament are we in that place i don't think we're quite there yet because you could probably if you're the selection committee as you said make some excuses for this early start this kind of slow start but like there's 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 not a reason to quit on your season if they were three and four and everybody was healthy you'd be like oh boy but the fact that they're three and four and nobody's healthy is maybe like not even a bad thing
3: that's that's a good way to look at it and that's kind of how i look at it honestly is it's one thing if you lose one or two guys, and it's you know, the selection committee and a lot of people won't make excuses, but you know, when you lose six or seven guys for a significant period of at least the early season, which is where you build up all the chemistry, um, that's, a, that's a big thing to look at, and it's a big hindrance to Dane Altman and staff. But the last couple of games, I think the takeaways have been they're getting the younger guys going, and they're getting Will Richardson going. Um, Will Richardson has, was phenomenal this past weekend at the PK-85, or the Invitational, or the Legacy, whatever you want to call it. Um, like we talked about on the Monday podcast, our mailbag edition, Matt said I think like Will Richardson didn't play 46 seconds out of 80 minutes in the final two games of that. Um, a, great conditioning, very impressive Will. B, uh, he was excellent during both of those games. He finally got to a good start. Um, played a lot of isolation basketball, mostly because he had to, because he had you know James Cooper, Jimmy Coops, as I like to call him, uh, walk on playing with them. Um, but I had a lot of fun watching that team because it was just run and gun and um, playing hard on on both ends of the floor. Uh, I thought Clay Ware was was really good in this uh, invitational as well. Um, I did some numbers the other day. I think he averaged like sixteen and eight a night and almost two blocks during this tournament and the four or the three games there. Um, he's been really good to watch, and obviously, as, as Nafale Dante and Nate Biddle come back, his minutes might go down, but I don't know. I think he's been showing a lot. I think that he would be a nice complement to Nafale Dante as a, somebody who can stretch the floor, shoot from the perimeter, um, play defense, be able to move in Dana Altman's zone or uh, matchup zone defense. Um, I like him and this Oregon system. It started a little slow, but after that Houston game, he's turned it up a level um all in all i think it's much too early to to really know what this team is which kind of sucks after the first 7 games of the year but yeah you know co- compared to the previous seasons where you either know a hey this is something special or b this does not look great um, i think this is an okay place to be at if you're an or- if you're a bens basketball fan here at oregon um, and there's a lot to look forward to as well as guys coming off the bench and we haven't seen Kuznard play at all. We haven't seen um Bartholomew play really that much. We haven't seen Brennan Rigsby play at all. Um, those are all guys who we don't we don't know what they can be, but we know that they are they come in highly touted. And um, Dane Altman has said a lot of good things about those players too. So it'll be fun to watch those guys come and implement themselves into this into the system as well.
1: Yeah, there's a couple areas that we should touch on based off what both of you have said. Eric was bringing up like it's not time yet to panic don't really know what kind of run we need to see out of this team to get to the tournament um they are behind the eight ball a little bit um the losses that they've got already through four and the conference itself not doing very good has hurt the strength of the league and so if you're oregon it's imperative that you hung with Houston. It's imperative that you hung with Michigan State. You beat Villanova. You need those teams to get good and stay good. You need Connecticut to continue to be really good. Um, you really need UC Irvine to win the Big West and get to the tournament to to validate that butt kicking you received if you can if at all. I don't think you can. But then you you, you got to basically go through non-con. Um, they play they play two Pac-12 teams this week, so it takes for a pause. But then they play Nevada, Riverside, Portland, and Utah Valley um, from December tenth to December twentieth. You you have to go four and zero. You have to win pretty convincingly, I think, in all four of those of those games. And guys, that Portland game, I I, I don't know if people are going to realize this. That team is damn good um they might be a tournament team um out of the WCC they beat Villanova they almost beat Michigan State maybe should have beaten Michigan State and they took North Carolina down to the wire and almost won that game in the PK85 they are really good i was i watched the portland versus michigan state game um at the PK85 after oregon and it felt like a tournament game um, they're all veteran players. That's going to be a tough non-conference game. It's going to scare the hell out of Oregon. I guarantee it. But then to Jared's point of Cole, where he has to start. I I, I, I think it's very clear he has to start moving forward. And Dana has talked a lot about. There's so much more there, and he he admitted that there's that Ware came into Oregon with the reputation that, you know, sometimes he just doesn't go hard all the time. And 24/7 Sports has a 2023 20, NBA mock draft up the day of this podcast and he's included in the lottery and that's mentioned in his his little description of why he's listed slotted there is he has a reputation of maybe not going hard every single, you know, play he's out there. You got to play through that. You you you, you can't worry about him not playing hard every time you just he has to just it's growing pains you're gonna have to go through it because i was at all three pk80 games um i think you guys watched a couple of them in spurts i i have yet to see a game yet where i feel like he's definitively not a top two or three player on the floor and oftentimes this season he's the best player on the floor or maybe the one with the, the best impact. Maybe I, I think he's got to start. You, and when Dante gets back, it's Dante where uh, Quincy Gurrier, and then you figure out whether it's Brennan Rigsby when he's healthy, or Jermaine Kuznard or Keyshawn Bartholomew, and then and then you you, you go with Will Richardson at point guard. And I I think the pieces are here where if they can. Tread water long enough, get themselves healthy, they can go into conference play and they can rip off a 13 and five record and maybe a 14 and 4 record, which would put them in discussion for the tournament as an at-large bid.
2: All right, Matt, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Dana's had what seven, eight, five-star recruits, something like that. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm, maybe I'm a little shy, maybe it's a little more. Where is Khalil where? I know we're seven games in. Maybe it's too early to kind of t- to do this, but it feels like the upside there is higher than it was for several of these other guys that they've had. Is there a chance you look at this as the best five-star, probably a best five-star one-and-done they've had, or kind of what's the hierarchy for Dana five-stars? Um,
1: It's between him and Bull. And – I know Bull only played nine or eight games at Oregon, but I think what kind of gets lost in his career is because it was only nine games or whatever. Yeah, it's nine games. He was really freaking good. 21 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, an assist. He made 52% of his threes that he took, 56% – um, of his shots from the field, and when you look at Khalil Ware, seven games in, eleven points, uh, one and a half, one almost two blocks per game. He's shooting thirty-three percent from three, six rebounds. So I mm-hmm. I would think Bull is the more impactful one. Now, when Bull showed up, it was very clear. Hey, he's starting. Like he's he has to start for Oregon to be, you know. Good, or at, the, at its full potential. That was not the case with where. So, and, and follow Dante. is really good this season, and, um, I mean I think Tom Izzo, or maybe it was Dan Hurley, yeah, UConn game said that Dante is one of the best big men in college basketball. Um, Post game, and that they were really pleased that they were able to you know limit him because they knew he was really hard to guard. So I think that impacts where's productivity here a little bit. So maybe if we couch that discussion and look at it from maybe the Yukon game, Michigan state, Villanova, and then count the next four and see what he does. Maybe we could go back and think, cause his, I think his, his playing time is going to skyrocket. And, you know, I think to. this past week, I think this past weekend can show that it needs to, and I think it's going to. Um, and so maybe we, we we pause that question and we come back in four games and we might have a better idea of it. But I think it's between him and Bull. Easy.
3: I think those are the easy answers. I, although I would take Ware in terms of upside value. Um, I think just he moves oh, more easy. fluid. Yeah. He mo- yeah, it's more fluid. On defense, at least, Bull has some lateral issues, but you see it in the NBA and what Bull Bull has become and is actually healthy now. I mean, Eric knows.
2: Bull, um, bull, bull, bull Bull, really strong NBA season for those not following the NBA. He's like very, le- very legi- good. Legitimately good this year.
1: Legitimately Highlights uh, on Twitter every single night, it seems like. Yeah. And so
2: that was the
3: potential upside of, of Bull. And again, his length and his versatility is bar none, basically. He's, he's like the American Victor Benyama but the the, the the Kmart version. Um, no disrespect to Bull if you're listening. <laughs>
0: <Please>. <laughs>
3: but Khalil Ware is just going to be a monster on the defensive end in the NBA. He's going to have like that Robert Williams type role where he just kind of sits on whatever guy, can't shoot along the perimeter, um, runs from corner to corner, um, you know, Matt, you mentioned this, and a lot of NBA scouts have mentioned this as well, of, of where's, like, maybe he takes a playoff or two. Um, in watching him, it just seems like the game comes so easy to him. He doesn't, it looks like he doesn't try. It's very, like, how a baseball player, had the same thing. It's like, well, you know, they don't really try too hard in the field, but they make every play. It's like you wish that they would give the extra effort, um, kind of like how Robinson Cano was for the Yankees when he was first coming up. Like, he just gets the game. He just understands. He he might yeah, sure he might take a playoff or two. Um, I don't think there's any been any there's ever been anybody who hasn't. However, I think the game comes so naturally to him, and everything is so easy that it looks like he's not trying. Um, but he he's been really good on defense so far this season, um, which I've been impressed by because Dana Altman's defense is always something that freshmen big men or wings or point guards, whatever the case may be, have to adjust to because it's just not what you play in high school. Nobody comes close to playing that in high school. Barely any teams come close to playing that in college. Um, But he's done a good job so far. And I agree with both of you that he has to start or at least get a minute's uptick. But I'm wondering where that comes from because I like Oregon starting five with Quincy Gurrier at the four and not Defalé Dante at the five. I think that's – Frankly, if I were like an NBA general manager, I would want something like that where you have a six, eight, six, seven guy at the four who can guard other fours and a big, big body five who can defend the rim, grab rebounds and get some post touches up as your starting center where I don't know if he could fit at the four and, and Quincy Gourier at the three. I think that might be too big and too little floor spacing because despite Quincy Gourier's ability to shoot three. He's good as both a shooter and a driver and an offensive rebounder. He does all the dirty work for that Oregon uh, offense. I just He's got to be like the sixth man. He's got to be as soon as the fall, he gets a foul or two, and they want him out. Khalil Ware has to come in. I don't think it should be Nate Biddle. I don't think it should be Rivaldo Soares if he's coming off the bench, which he won't be for the foreseeable future. But um, I agree with both of you guys that he needs a minute uptick. He's just... He, the, the more he learns, the more he plays the game at the collegiate level, um, the better he's going to become.
1: Yeah, the the who you pull off is going to be a really tough decision to make. And if it was a couple de- games ago, I it would hurt to say it, but I would say you pull off Quincy Gurier because he hasn't played really effective basketball. But he looked really good against Villanova he still made some fouls that were questionable but he looked really good in that in that power forward role like you talked about he hit threes he went down on the block when he was guarding being guarded by smaller defenders and kind of did you know what we all kind of expected of him um, this season and I, I, I would hate to pull off his leadership too that's a big that's a big thing for me so maybe for for Dana, you, you just have to figure out how you can make this work. I, I don't. I don't know. That's a tough. That's a tough, tough call to make. Um, because one thing I think that's really special about Kilo Ware is Jared. Jared brought up he, he's he just looks more poised than a freshman, and I thought this weekend he did a really good job of all season really of not getting baited to block shots. Like we see that with, with freshmen, big men, like a was famous for it, trying to block stuff. He had no like chance of blocking and we'd get a foul. We, we saw Jordan Bell as a freshman set a school record in blocks, but also picked up a lot of fouls because he was so aggressive doing it. Um, 2.7 blocks per game for Jordan Bell as a freshman, 2.4 block or, or, Fouls per game as a freshman for Jordan Bell 2.7 fouls per game As well for Kenny Wooten And when he was a freshman Khalil Ware averages one foul A game almost two Fewer fouls than these two guys And his blocks Are Pretty good 12 blocks through seven Games he's almost averaging two blocks a game And yet he doesn't commit Fouls and I, I mean that I tried to Ask Dana about it and he quickly like Does not praise his players and went and talked about it. he needs to do this and he's coming along here, but it could get better. Yada, yada, yada. But just if you want to watch those games again, just watch at how he always stays on his feet to Jared's point. Like he's, he knows the game so well and knows that, Hey, I'm seven feet tall and my wingspan is probably almost 10 feet. I can just keep my hands up and I can impact everything without having to jump. And that's how you stay out of foul trouble. And it was very clear all three games that when teams got down into the block and he was there, he impacted everything, which you haven't had at Oregon in a while.
2: All right, Matt, I was just going to ask this um, because it kind of got me thinking a little bit about how we talked about how the women are starting to play like a Kelly Graves coached team. Like they just kind of have that resemblance. The men haven't had consistent rim protection like they potentially have this year. It seems like they've got – on the perimeter, a player you can rely upon, and Will Richardson, who fills in some of those. Usually, there would be a couple other running mates for a Will Richardson. But I was just going to say, when everybody gets healthy, could this resemble a Dana Altman coach team? Maybe more than some of the previous versions. It seems like since the pandemic, both both the men and the women have had a hard time kind of constructing rosters that fit the personalities of their coaches. Feels like the women are getting. I think this is this looks like a Kelly Graves coach basketball team having been around it for a while. Do you feel like this could best case scenario everybody gets healthy kind of resemble some of the Dana teams that were at its best or is it a little different because they're so big up front? Like kind of what, what do you kind of how do you kind of perceive what this team will look like when everybody's back?
1: If we are to understand look, Dana never says stuff like he did this year where he came out and said, Hey, if Jermaine Kuznard and Brandon Rigsby weren't hurt, they would have started the first game as as guards. Like, he never really comes out and says that. And so, and then like this week, I asked him, "Like, What's a fair expectation for what Rigsby can do for you? Like, not worrying about points and rebounds and all that. And he's like, Just give us a couple minutes. He noted it's going to be rough for him, you know, starting off. It's not going to be right away that he's going to hit the level that he was at pre-injury but if one of those guys is as can get to the where they were before the season started i think this team could resemble more of a dana altman team and what's scary about it is is that final four team um they were elite they had elite big men but they weren't really like big men jordan bell was six nine shot blocker he was like Boucher was 6'11, but he didn't play in the tournament or 6'10. Um Dante is like is like Jordan Bell, in my opinion. Maybe not as much of a shot blocker, but good rebounder, good post defender, finishes everything around the rim. He's just bigger than, than Jordan Bell is. And now that we've seen him healthy before the injury before he, he got hurt, um his athleticism was off the charts. He looked like a totally different person. Um, Claude Ware is the, the Boucher counterpart. Yeah. He's just bigger. And I Br- Dylan Brooks is a much better 4-3 man than, than Quincy Guerrier is. Um, Peyton Pritchard and Will Richardson, You know, I would probably lean Pritchard. Um, and then they don't have a Dorsey on this team that flamethrower type shooter um but the, the the point here is is this feels like just a, a lesser version of that and it's the gap's pretty big sure but this feels more like a Dan Altman team the way it was constructed if everything comes back and plays like it is to the point where like yeah they could be if they get healthy they could be a really Damn good team come March that you don't want to play. The question becomes can they avoid enough losses where they're not having to sweat out a a March Madness selection show as a play in seed, or are they all the way in? And I don't know if they can get there yet. You know, that that's because it's it's a lot of injuries and the getting these guys back into gear is gonna take take time. I don't know if they have enough time. That, that, uh, I mean, that I was just
2: going to say that Final Four team, just this is a small aside, was so well constructed the way you just ran yes. through it all. It just mm-hmm. kind of makes me wish that team was still playing. But sorry, go ahead, Jared. I was just going to make a silly remark about that.
3: No, you're good. Great team. Um, for me, I still think it's way too early to know if this is a real Dana Altman team. Um, construction-wise, you see it. You see the moving parts. However, all those parts aren't moving right now because half of them are injured. And until you get a majority of your parts back and see how they all fit into the system, then I think you can tell this will be a Dana Altman team. I mean, right now they're, they're running three walk-ons of the court with Will Richardson taking a, like what he should honestly, like 90% of the shots. Um, when DeFalle comes back, you'll get a little bit of a better look to it. I think what really matters in this situation as it has in the last couple of years under a Dana Altman team is how their guards can defend and how their guards can score and how their guards can shoot. Because if Oregon's guards cannot shoot as they have in the last couple of seasons, this team really struggles to, to score points. Because Dan Altman's offensive system is, is post-centric, which is great with Nafale Dante, who has been hurt. So that's also hurt their offense the last couple of years. This year, it might be different because Nafale has played so well. But with Nafale's passing ability, his ability to hit open shooters um, in the last few years has been great. They just haven't been able to connect. Uh, except for like Anthony Mathis and the Peyton Pritchard show. If Keyshawn Bartholomew, if Jermaine Kuznard, who are not good three-point shooters in their career, if they work with um, the Oregon staff who's done a good job in the past of refining jump shots and turning guys into real shooters, um, if they learn how to hit shots, that could really help. Will Richardson is struggling from three right now. I think he's at 31.6 or 32%, something like that. Um, But he's taken a whole bunch of them. So I think his efficiency will go up as his attempts go down. That's usually how it works at least. Um, but Brendan Rigsby is another guy who needs to show that he could shoot. So it, to, to, just to answer the overall question, I think it's much too early to tell if this is a Dana Altman team. I think the pieces are there to turn it into a Dana Altman team. Um, and we, we just don't know yet. We just, it's seven games into the year. You just need to get a couple guys back and to see where they all kind of fit in. Um, and then you'll have a much better idea of, of what this team could become by the end of March, or um, you know, by the middle of conference season.
1: That's that's a fair assessment, and I I would agree. And it it just bases on what this what are these injured guys going to look like, and at their at their best performance, and how long it gets there. Um, will there be enough time? It's going to do it for us here on the Aughts and Audible's podcast basketball edition. We'll be back probably Friday with another one. Um, and, hey, there's going to be a transfer portal that we're going to have to look into. So I think that's going to be our focus. I We'll see what, what else pops up between now and then. Coach search. We've got bowl game news. We've got Pac-12 championship stuff to watch. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with another edition of the Aughts and Audible's podcast.
2: Duck Jitter, folks.